Starting with uh, verse 1, and uh, your Bible might just kind of head these, all these coming chapters. Uh, mine says the wise sayings of Solomon, but starting with verse 1 of chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now this verse is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? I think most people would agree that, boy, if I have wise kids, it, it, whether I have a wise son or a wise daughter, uh, it, it's going to be a blessing to us as parents. Um, you think about in the Old Testament, Joseph. Wasn't he a blessing to Jacob? The other sons, he kind of wanted to kick them uh, out of the house early, right? You know, because they weren't such a blessing. And then when they sold his son, you know, that, that showed just how uh, off the rails they were at the time. But Joseph was a real blessing to his, his father. And uh, Paul, in the New Testament, we see him, he's kind of a father figure, he is a father figure, to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had a mother and grandmother that raised him in the ways of the Lord, and uh, no doubt his mother rejoiced that her son would later become uh, a pastor, and he would just pour his life uh, into the ministry. So her pouring the word into him resulted in his life being poured out for the Lord. And, and Paul, you know, one of the greatest uh, men that God has ever used, is his personal mentor uh, in that father figure, but you can see that it would bring his mother so much joy to see her son doing things that actually build up lives, as opposed to a mother that, you know, you look at uh, a mom that has a son that's chosen, for example, drugs, and then after that, the drugs become so addictive that they have to turn to crime, and then after turning to crime, it becomes a violent crime, and the next thing you know, they're spending their entire life in prison, Right? And we go into the youth correctional facility, and we, we see kids, and we know that their parents are broken hearted. I'll talk to kids, yeah, my parents are pretty upset, and uh, it's just uh, devastating. But on the other hand, as um, we see people in the New Testament and Old Testament, they're a blessing to parents. Uh, we also can see in the Scriptures those that uh, were of significant grief uh, to their parents. You think of uh, David, he had uh, a wife named Makah, and... Uh, they had a son together named Absalom. Absalom dies an unnecessary, early, untimely death. It wasn't necessary for him to die young. Uh, David loved his son, grieved over the spiritual decision of his son to walk away from God, and actually he was rebellious to, against his own parents. He, he, he warred against his own father. Now the Bible says that you know if you want to live a long life, honor your father and mother and Absalom went a different direction. You know, his mother's name means crushed. Absalom's mother's name means crushed. Do you think that's coincidence? Well, in the Bible, names mean a lot of important things. We talked about usually in the Bible, not always, and Absalom is one of these ones that um, uh, kind of bucks this trend, but the most often in Scripture, people do live out their name. Uh, Absalom, though, doesn't live out his name, but his mother lives out her name, because he doesn't live out his name. That makes sense? His name means um, son of peace, or I'm sorry, father of peace. In the Hebrew, his name's Av Shalom, not Absalom, but in the Hebrew, it's Av Shalom. You've all heard the word Shalom, it means peace. And so, father of peace was his name, and that was God's intention for Absalom that he would bring peace and he would follow David's you know, godly heritage. Instead, uh, he brings the opposite of peace. He brings war and strife, and there's a sword dividing the household of David. 
And so his mother's name, meaning crushed, is definitely fulfilled because Absalom rejects his calling. And you think about his parents, especially if you trained your kids in the ways of the Lord and they reject uh, how much grief that's crushing. Uh, we have prodigals that we pray for uh, for different families in the church, and we believe and just have faith that they'll come back. But until that time, it's great anguish uh, both for father and mother. Let's look at verse 2. Moving along here. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Now when you look at this verse, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, you can't help think of Jesus' warning. Uh, it's recorded a couple times in the New Testament. One place is Mark uh, 8.36, and you know these words. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul? Well, the, the answer is nothing, right? You, you can't there would be no profit to gain the whole world if you say, wow, I am king of the world. You know, there's going to be a man someday who will kind of uh, make that statement. The Antichrist will, will try and gather the power of the entire world. He really even won't have the entire world because there will actually be a small little group of God's chosen people that are protected during that time. So he'll never even gain 100% control. But for all intents and purposes, someone will finally gain uh, control of the world, but it's still, uh, all that will get him is the lake of fire for all eternity, That's speaking of the Antichrist. But lots of other people have acquired different parts of riches, different parts of power uh, in history, and um, we think of, when we think of treasures of wickedness, uh, that word wickedness obviously has a heavy connotation. Now most people, you don't think of when you work with someone who's just a, a, a swell co-worker as wicked, you think of them as definitely lost. But uh, and from our perspective, um, you know, wickedness is actually only what God can judge, right? And I don't walk up to people and say, you are wicked. Now, God can walk up to a person and say, you are wicked. But we can say, hey, I want you to come to know what I have come to know, that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has radically changed me and transformed me. Uh, that said, though, when we think of wickedness or treasures from wickedness, someone that's actually gained their treasure through wickedness, we think of something like the mafia, right? We would say, well, organized crime, you know, um, the things that they would do, I mean, if they have to murder someone to advance the crime family or uh, operation, we would think of that as wickedness. And, you know, I have a pastor uh, peer of mine, Mike Burner, down in North Carolina, who he, he for years, uh, you know, worked with both... Uh, the motorcycle gangs, and for the Gambino crime family, and he's got an incredible testimony. And uh, so he would have, what he did acquire before coming to Christ was through some pretty rough stuff, some very wicked stuff, very evil things. Um, we would think of uh, dictators around the world that acquire great wealth and power. We would say that they've acquired through wickedness. They outright will kill and steal to take whatever they want. That's happened down through the ages. We might think of someone... Uh, in the entertainment industry, think of somebody like Lady Gaga. Not to pick on Lady Gaga, but, but let's understand uh, you know, someone uh, like her. Uh, she's made millions selling filth, selling profanity, selling immorality, and the occult and both her music and message to young people's minds and hearts. Now, if you, now she may not know she's a tool of the enemy, but she is, right? And so... Uh, Talent aside, I mean, God uses people's thirst and lust for the things of this world 
Uh, and you can get great treasure. There's, you know, there's, there's truly uh, people that have said, I, I literally, before I came to Christ, I had sold my soul, right? And, and people can actually acquire great riches and wickedness, but it'll profit nothing. Uh, in, um, in the Scriptures, it tells us uh, that it's appointed when a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. When you think about wickedness from God's perspective, the fact of the matter is Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. So anyone that rejects Christ gets the same condemnation of eternity in hell as someone who has committed the really big sins, right? I mean, there are no people that are getting into heaven based on their works. So uh, hell is a place of great torment and punishment that is for anyone who's rejected Christ. So there is a measure of wickedness and any time a person says no to Christ, that rebellion is as, you know, the Bible says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. So to rebel against salvation, say thanks but no thanks, is to actually count the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as worthless, and God considers that wicked too. So even people that you meet are super nice, it, we're not in a position of their judge, jury, that's when they stand before the Lord. However, if you stand before the Lord and say, but I didn't do any of the big sins. I, I made my money with hard work, and I made my money with doing good things, and I gave the United Way, and I gave the United Nations, and the Gates Foundation, and everything else. I must be a pretty good person. God would say, no. Wickedness is rejecting my son. You know, it, it, I fa I'm fascinated uh, you know, by people that have done great things. Uh, you know, I look at Steve Jobs in our lifetime, and I, I say, Man, what, a, what a bright mind. Uh, both from a business perspective, a technology perspective, understanding human behavior, marketing, all of those things I can look and say, what a, what a brilliant individual. Steve Jobs, as you know, uh, died prematurely of cancer. Uh, he was worth billions when he died. He was on the board of directors for Disney. He was uh, CEO of Apple Corporation. And uh, he said this um, uh, sometime before he died. He said, no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. He's right. It doesn't matter if you have billions. It doesn't matter what you have. Death comes to everybody, uh, both those that ha have become righteous by the blood of Christ and those that have rejected. Uh, Walter Isaacson, who, uh, who wrote uh, this autobiography, an autobiography for, uh, for Steve Jobs, uh, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he uh, recalls uh, sitting in the backyard with Steve Jobs as he was dying. He said, I remember sitting in his backyard in his garden one day, and he started talking about God. This is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, by the way, was a, he was a Buddhist, a Zen Buddhist. That was what he claimed. Um, but he said uh, in the interview, he said, um, Steve Jobs said, sometimes I believe in God, sometimes I don't. I think it's 50-50 maybe. But ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. And I find myself believing it a little more. You hear that? I find myself believing it a little more. I kind of, maybe it's because I want to believe in the afterlife, that when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it lives on. And he paused for a second and said, yeah, but sometimes I think it's just an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. He said, and paused again, he said, and that's why I don't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. <laughs> but notice that 
as he thought about it, he had to go away from the heavy part of it and actually finish with a little bit of lightness there because you have to really know what happens when I face a righteous God that I've said no to the only way, truth, and life. Everyone has to ponder it. But the righteous is delivered from death, it says in that same verse. The righteous is delivered from death, not because you and I are better than anybody else. We're not. My works are no better than anybody else's works as far as getting into heaven. You might have a stack this high and someone else is this high, but compared to the perfection and righteousness of God, none of us are coming in. Our righteousness is but by what? The blood of Jesus. We're covered by the blood. That blood of Christ is what prepares us for death to enter into life. We're delivered from death because we all die, but we'd all have a second death, right? Because the Bible speaks of two deaths. There's the death of the body, and then there's the second death. You and I, if we're saved, we're protected from the second death. The Bible says the second death is when death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, that's the second death. That's the death where everyone is delivered from. I'm not going to be delivered from physical death, and neither will you unless the rapture comes and the Lord calls us in the air. Uh, but aside from that, death, physical death comes to us, but not the spiritual death. Amen? And that's a really big deal that we're delivered from that. And moving on to verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he cast away the desire of the wicked. Not only uh, in eternity will he not allow our soul to famish, our soul will live forever in paradise, in perpetual peace, in joy unspeakable, in the glory of God. But even now today in our life, God wants to renew our soul daily. And don't we need it? He wants to renew our soul daily. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It, the only way to uh, have your soul renewed on a regular basis is to be in the presence of God on a regular basis. And the only way you'll want to be in the presence of God is if you have a relationship with God. So once you're saved, you'll desire, the Holy Spirit puts that desire in you. Because before I was saved, you know, I got saved at the age of 25. Uh, guess how often I ever felt like reading the Bible before I got saved? Uh, I could count it on both hands, maybe one hand. I mean, I can't even think of a time I said, yeah, I'm 22 years old. What do we do tonight? How about I get the Bible out? That, that didn't cross my mind, you know? That seemed uh, low on the priority list. But it's the Holy Spirit that's constantly saying, open up the Word, talk to me, have relationship with me. Well, that renews our spirit to have that relationship with the Lord. He won't allow our soul to famish. He won't allow our soul to be in the same starvation category that the world is looking. You know, the Rolling Stones were right when they used to sing they couldn't get no satisfaction. They couldn't. Proverbs talks about that we'll never find satisfaction in the things of this world. It is a complete lie of the enemy. And we've seen it by how many people have won the lottery and, and actually end up in divorce and in way worse shape than before they had won everything that, that supposedly could bring peace to their soul and find they, they're even in worse shape. Happens again and again. He casts away the desire of the wicked. One of the reasons why God doesn't let those that are unsaved be satisfied is it's a way to draw them to him. You've heard the term. When you hit rock bottom, the only place you can look where is up. 
So that's one of the reasons why uh, the soul of the wicked is so you know, constantly on this journey and thirst. Jesus said, all who are thirsty come to me. God wants that thirst to draw, him, draw us to him. Now even after we're saved, he wants us to thirst too, but not a thirst to find satisfaction, a thirst to remain in relationship. There's a difference. Verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent uh, makes rich. Well, this is certainly true. Um, one of the things that, uh, it's an interesting thing that in the list of, um, uh, in the list of um, sins in the, in the New Testament, uh, we're talking about, we'll be talking about this Sunday, if you're here, Sunday we'll be in the, uh, the book of Galatians. And, and Paul has a listing of sins. And uh, in the New Testament, slothfulness is mentioned. And, and Jesus talks about the wicked and lazy servant. And I think, of all the things Jesus could say uh, there in Matthew chapter 26, wicked and lazy. I mean, you don't think of lazy and wicked. We think of lazy as, you know, all right, come on, get off the couch. You know, we might look at someone as lazy as, come on, stop playing video games all day. But God's is wicked and lazy, so laziness was never part of God's plan. Adam and Eve, before sin, they were told to tend the garden. Work wasn't a curse. It was the sweat of the brow and then labor for women and all the things that would come later that was part of the curse. But work, we've always been created to, when we think work, just think serve. We were created to serve. So people that come to know Christ that will not serve and will not serve Christ and will not work. Paul wrote to churches in the New Testament, said, I hear there's some among you who aren't doing anything. Pastors say that today, half the church walks out. You don't say that stuff. Paul can write that stuff. Because we don't read it anyway. But you can't say that stuff. Right? I've never written anyone a letter like that. But Paul would write that. He'd say, there's some among you not doing anything. You weren't saved to sit on your hands. You were saved to go reach out. It'd be like you know, having a lifeboat. People are drowning and say, oh, I don't got time to go out there. I got better things to do. Well, they're drowning. We're called, uh, we're called to uh, be busy about the Lord's work, but um, from a, just a practical standpoint in life, we know that if someone is lazy, it's going to be a really difficult time to make ends meet. And uh, one of the problems with our country is we've created such a, you know, the good, the good ideas and good uh, designs of some of the safety net we have that started in the 60s and, and the great society and all the things that, uh, that we kind of, I understand why we kind of put some of these things in place to kind of help people. Uh, we were talking about this, who was I talking to this about? Talking to a group of men, and uh, believer. Uh, and when you look at the safety net we've created, we've created and fostered slothfulness and people saying, oh, I don't need to work. It was at our men's uh, study this past Friday where people are making this, well, I, you know, I could get more if I just kind of wait for what the government's going to give me. Uh, and so people truly are looking at those kind of calculations and deciding not to do anything. Not only will eventually have great impact on them, but it makes everyone else poor as well in the, in the same time. I mean, God's called us to work. Uh, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, you know, he talks about he who will not provide for his own household is worse than an infidel. That we're called to work and provide for our family. No one said it was easy. It's not easy. Uh, but 
we're called to work because it's a, a command from the Lord. The hand of the diligent makes one rich. Now, uh, it's true that hardworking people, Steve Jobs, proof of that, many other people that are hardworking, look at the entrepreneurial minds out there, they do become rich. Uh, so as a principle, hard work will yield good things. Now, doesn't mean you should fall in love with those riches. Paul writes in the same uh, epistle to Timothy that those who are rich be generous and share with those that have need. So if God takes your hard work and blesses it, and by the way, you can work as hard as you want if God doesn't choose to bless it. You may never become uh, successful or rich or anything like that. But if God chooses to bless it, and then he's blessed many Christians at different levels, it's his decision uh, you know, some people seem to have a Midas touch, and God has given them that. But uh, you know, look at the ministry of D.L. Moody uh, in the late 1800s. Even though he himself gave up, he had a great business mind, he gave up all that just to serve the Lord and preach the gospel to millions on both continents, some of his friends that really supported the ministry were wealthy, godly men that loved Jesus and just said, D.L., what do you need? You want to... You want to do more with the YMCA? We'll get behind that. You want to get to London and preach to thousands? We'll get behind that. So he actually had men that actually did love the Lord, that were hardworking, entrepreneurial, that loved the Lord, and they, they, were, they were greatly used. Hudson Taylor, uh, others, uh, George Mueller benefited from people that came to them and said, hey, we see what you're doing, and we want to lend what we can to the ministry. So if God blesses your hard work and makes one rich, just don't fall in love with the riches. Moving on, verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a wise son, he who sleeps in harvest is a son uh, who causes shame. Uh, Jesus had a lot to say about being, being ready, being in service, that should he return, he would not find us doing nothing. That we would be what? Laboring in the vineyard. Now, laboring in the vineyard is not easy. And notice the, notice the structure of the verse. He who gathers in summer. Now, you and I know that summer is not the easiest time to work outside because what? It's hot. It's sweaty. You know, uh, in our nation, you know, when people were, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great blight on our country, but when people were put into slavery, they would work long hours in the hot sun, Right? That wasn't a job anybody really, hey, I'd really like to do that. But when we come to Christ, in a sense, we become bond servants of Christ, and he sends us all out into the fields, if you will, because he says, go out into the fields. And, and we're told to work and labor and toil in the vineyard till he comes back. Why? Because it will bear the fruit that God is looking for, which are people's lives change and people's lives touch. He who gathers in the summer. Now, when it's, we're in the summer heat of this world, if you will. We're walking through this world, and we're told to keep gathering. And it's not easy to say, man, i got to keep, keep going forward, and uh, I've, I've asked this person if they knew the Lord, and they, didn't, they weren't interested, and I've shared over here, and I served over here, and no one said thank you. They didn't recognize the great ministry work I was doing. And yet, all of that is just toiling in the heat, toiling in the summer. But when we do that, eventually a harvest will come, right? And the harvest will come to those who actually were working in the summer. 
Those that were working in the heat will participate in the harvest. Those in the harvest uh, that are sound asleep when the harvest comes, well, they were the same ones not working in the vineyard in the summer. He who sleeps in harvest is a son that causes shame. We want to be a son. Jesus says um, in Luke, uh, we want to be a son that when the Lord looks at us, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant or son or daughter. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Jesus says these words, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. Again, notice the connotation. Jesus is master. It's not like a, uh, you know, hey, me and the boss are peer level. Jesus says he is the boss, and we're not his peer level. He said, you need to have your waist girded, serving, working in the summer, working in the heat of this world until the Lord comes. And then he goes on to say in the 43rd verse, blessed is that server whom his master will find doing when he comes. Doing what? Doing the work that he's called to, be, called to do. Not being lazy and sitting back and saying, somebody else will take care of that. And we have ministry Sunday coming up on the 22nd. Uh, when we have that, it's an opportunity for all of us to assess what can we do collectively by taking small steps forward to fill gaps that please and honor the Lord. Because when that takes place, other people's load is lifted. They're even more effective in the areas that God's called them to. And other areas that aren't being met are met. Moving on. Verse 6. Blessings are on the the head of the righteous, uh, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And when you think in the terms of Scripture uh, of the head, you know, this uh, Jesus was called Messiah, means anointed. Uh, In the Old Testament, when someone was anointed, uh, the anointing was for prophets, it was for priests, and it was for kings. And they would pour oil on the head, and it would be on the head that was the picture that uh, when God pours out the blessing on the head, it really flows all the way down. And all of us is kind of cons- we're completely consecrated at that point for the master's use or for uh, the glory of God. That the kings of Israel, the prophets of Israel, and the priests of Israel, they were to be consecrated from the head to the toes, but it starts by pouring down. When the Holy Spirit descended, it descended down upon Jesus, uh, upon the head of Jesus. In the book of Acts, when the Um, the church was gathered there and the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing mighty wind. It was clothes of fire that were right above what? Right above the head. Because it was a a signification that they were fully consecrated. Jesus wears many crowns on his head because it's a symbol of his consecration, of his glory. And so the head of the righteous, the blessing, it's like Jesus touching uh, the head with his own hand and saying, I bless you. But violence covers uh, the mouth of the wicked. Uh, we, have, we actually have another, uh, another verse in verse 11 where I'll address the violence of the mouth of the wicked. So let's move to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Well, this is certainly true. Uh, when you think about in the past and world history, think about Moses' legacy versus Hitler's legacy. Moses is a deliverer. 
Hitler was a murderer. And, you know, Hitler believed he would have a great, he thought of himself as a great man. He thought he would have a thousand years, the Third Reich, the third thousand year reign. He thought he, but his kingdom didn't reign, but about 10 years, right? But he thought it would last a thousand. He thought he would be great, but everyone thinks of him. You you mean anyone, almost anyone thinks, if anyone deserves hell, it's that guy, right? No one thinks of him as, uh, oh, he's up there uh, standing with the angels. Uh, He has a legacy of pure evil and wickedness. Moses, on the other hand, even people that don't believe in the Bible know who he is, or they know something about him, right? He has a great legacy because he was surrendered to God, and he was used to bring deliverance to people. He was used to bring life to men that made completely different choices. One's name really does rot, and one's name has uh, a greatness to it. Even, by the way, even the world's religions around the world, like, you know, even Islam, as false as it is, reveres a man like Moses. I mean, even the world religions revere him. Uh, but again, God wants us to choose a life that our name, when people remember us, they would say, that person, you know, I don't understand why, uh, why they were you know, so into Jesus, but I have to admit, they were honest. They were fair. They were loving. They were kind. Uh, Even if they won't admit it uh, outwardly, inside, I think people, uh, they're they're always watching us. And you think, you know, Hitler, he had all these evil inventors. And you look at like an inventor like George Washington Carver. I I get peanut butter today thanks to this guy, you know? And all the other things that uh, that he invented. He's a great mind. He actually, and he, he said, you know, if God could... Uh, if God invented the peanut, then surely God could show him everything about it. And uh, he was a godly man and uh, loved the Lord. But, um, you know, we need people that in all spheres of their life, you know, godly scientists, godly teachers, that they would have a name of saying, you know, this teacher poured their lives into kids, you know, Versus some of the scandals we see with different jobs and people that uh, you know, have embezzled money and their name does rot. Moving on, the next verse. Um, verse 8, uh, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. And this is where I got the title, of, obviously, of, of tonight's. I have to pick a verse somewhere every week now. Uh, the wise in heart will receive commands. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all, which are the, most of the Ten Commandments are the don'ts. But Jesus came a lot with some do's love, go, right? Serve, not just uh, in the early part, you know, certainly love the Lord your God. Most of them are, you know, don't forsake. Don't commit adultery, don't lie. But Jesus came, and those commands still hold true, but he also, you know, we really live by the do's. Once you're saved, again, I, I used to have this conversation with coworkers when I was still in the business world. You know, I'm like, look, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. For you, it seems like labor. That's why you'd rather be golfing. 
and there's no place, you, know, you couldn't think of, you don't want to be there at the church because uh, you're going to feel guilty and it's boring. But then when you have salvation, the do's are what motivate you, not the don'ts. Now, the don'ts, again, sometimes are good. Now, the fear of the Lord it is helpful at times. But the wise in heart receives commandments. We're not angry at God for him telling us to pray, are we? Does that make you mad? How dare God tell me to pray? Who does he think he is? I can't believe he wants to. Now the worship team's up there. Now I'm going to have to sing. Great. Other people are singing, and they're going to notice I'm not singing. You know, this is great. I guess I have to sing. Because the scriptures do say, sing unto the Lord. You know, both those are... Those commands are dues, right? I know a lot of people say that, that I don't need to sing. Well, I tell them, you're going to have a hard time in heaven because a lot of singing going on there. So get used to it, but instead of fighting it, say, I get to sing to the Lord. I get to open the Bible. The wise in heart receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. We talk, um, we'll talk about this Sunday uh, as well, you know, building on, we actually we talked about it last Wednesday uh, as well, but, you know, the, the world is building on sand. Instead of obeying the commands of God, they come up with their own life commands and they build on sand. Those, those things will fall. They'll collapse. It's a foolish thing to uh, ignore the commands of God. Let's look at verse 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely. He who perverts his ways will become known. You know, uh, in this day and age, we live at a time now that uh, you really ought to consider every email and text you send could someday in the, be in the public eye. Think about that. Integrity, just think, what would God think about what I'm looking at? what I'm about to say, what I'm about to send or, or say about so-and-so. You know, gossip is still a sin, too. That's a big one in the, even in the church, right? So today, uh, we have now more than ever, uh, integrity can be, or lack thereof, can be exposed uh, at any time on anybody. Now, we're, none of us are perfect people, so we, we all will have some mistakes. But let them be minor Amen? Because <laughs> people with integrity are, are going to have slip-ups, but they're not going to be the kind that um, just completely blow you out of the water. They want to walk with integrity. Because there's security there. There's security that God says, you measure your words by the work of the Holy Spirit in you, and you're going to be in a lot better shape. Integrity, you know, it, it's that which you do when no one else is around, right? That's who we really are. When there's no one to kind of, you know, walk around the corner, oh, better put Christian face on. Integrity is, no, this is who I really am in the Lord. Yeah, we have, we're humble about that, 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 that we've got a long ways to go, that we've got work to do. We understand that even in people with integrity have flaws, but one of the things about people with integrity is they tell you they have flaws. That's another thing you can admit to people. Say, hey, you know, I dropped the ball on this. That's part of having integrity. 
Instead of actually defending every last thing, well, it wasn't my fault, it was so-and-so, and this, that, and the other, and just say, look, I dropped the ball, I blew it, will you forgive me? People actually start to believe we have integrity when we act that way, right? Now, if you live that way constantly, then they say you're lazy. So, Proverbs speaks to both. But he who perverts his ways will become known. Well, this has happened a lot of times in the last, boy, in today's, uh, everything seems to get found out. People that have done perverted things, it seems to come out. So-and-so is arrested. Uh, they are on the headline news. Uh, like, what? They did what? That kind of thing. You see, these, uh, whether it is uh, of a sexual nature or a financial nature, uh, people perverting uh, their own ways, and it does become known. But we can walk securely. We don't, have, uh, we don't have to worry about, boy, I hope my kids or my spouse never find this out if we walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen? Don't have to worry about that stuff. Verse 10. By the way, one last thing on that. You've heard this plenty of times. I've heard even news commentators say, boy, they must have a folder on that person, right? Because they seem to be able to keep them quiet. That shouldn't be said about Christians. The only folder they should have on us is love, peace, joy. <laughs> Those should be the things that they have on us. Moving on for the second time. Verse 10, he who winks with his eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. You've got to watch people that, um, uh, the Proverbs is that you can see insincerity. Be careful with people that just are insincere. We, gotta, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to judge character. Um, I'm a dad with three daughters, so God has to give me a lot of this. Because there's a lot of eye-winking people that my girls are going nowhere near, right? That you have to be. We live in a society where I think really Satan has the entire media industry. It's all winking, hey, we'll take good care of your kids. Just, just leave them. With, just give the smartphone. Give them the smart. We'll take care of the kids for you. Yeah, they will. The world winks its eye. Uh, this isn't a big deal. You, your parents are overreacting to this. Well, they will fall on the day of judgment, but those of us who don't look lightly at the things the world winks at, no big deal. It is a big deal to, to the Lord. And if it's a big, if it's anything that's a big deal to God, it's a big deal to us. Amen? He's a pure and holy God. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Now I'm revisiting, remember verse 6, it talks about the violence covers the mouth of the wicked. So I will cover this one here because we have repetitive verses in Proverbs. So sometimes we'll cover only one of them as we go through. But the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Christian, our mouth should be saying things that glorify God. The New Testament says we should speak as the oracles of God. Now that's impossible to do unless you walk in the Spirit, and you've got to be here this Sunday. I'm excited to go through the last part of chapter 5 on life in the Spirit. Because unless we have the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't have lips of righteousness. It will not happen. But if we are under the control of the Holy Spirit we will have lips that actually pour forth the very heart of Christ. Because it says 
in the scriptures, we have the mind of Christ, but we only have the mind of Christ if we're walking in the spirit of Christ. We'll really look at this in detail on Sunday in the book of Galatians. But the mouth of the Christian should be bringing good news. On our lips should be bringing the gospel. We should have the kind of lips to say to someone, can I pray for you? And everyone else is cursing someone out, can I pray for you? Can I help you? What can I do uh, just to kind of speak into your life? We need to have lips that are encouraging lips. One of the things that we can all do in 2017 is say, Lord, help me to encourage as many people as I can all the time. You will never, ever build relationships being the, the chief rebuker in the room. The always right person in the room. The, hey, no one's, if, no one's ready to say it, I'll say it person in the room, right? That's kind of how it was before I was saved, by the way. I didn't win many friends at those, in, those, in those ways. But once we know the Lord, it's our job to encourage people, not encourage them in things that they shouldn't be doing. I'm talking about when you see brothers and sisters that you know are trying to serve the Lord and they're just down, you, your lips should bring encouragement. You should speak words of lifting their spirit to say, no, I, God, God has great things in store for you. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you otherwise. We, had, we are called to be encouragers. Barnabas in the New Testament, his, his whole disposition was encouraging people, building people up. The lips of the right, it's a well of life. When you walk in the room, do you bring life to the room or do people run the other direction? I'll never, you know, Pastor Thomas Powell preached back in November. I always crack up. The first time I ever heard him preach, he was talking about a, a Dude, as soon as he walked on the campus, the, the pastoral staff was lighting off flares to run the other direction, right? Because you couldn't, some people you can't encourage. You've tried your best and you still can't, but that doesn't mean you, even though you might try your best, keep trying. God doesn't give up on people we can't either. So our lips are to be a well of life. But the next passage you say, well, how does this next piece come out? But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. I know not every wicked person is violent. True? What does this mean? You notice that you've known wicked people that aren't violent. They might be really uh, wicked in some sense. They might love just, uh, you know, just kind of a filthy kind of music or something like that, but that doesn't mean they're violent. But think about this. I was thinking as I was kind of studying this and thinking about it. Um, notice that everyone that curses uses the same curse words, right? You know the big ones that everybody uses. People that are violent use those words, and people that are not violent to make strong points also use those words. You ever think about that? That's the way that people that, uh, matter of fact, you know, when, we go into the, um, when we go into the correctional facility, the way you stay hard in there is you have to talk a certain way. So you don't have to be violent, but you better talk like you're violent. And that's the way people kind of puff their chest, is if they drop certain curse words, they could be a little girl who's 90 pounds, mouth it off at the convenience store, right? Because it sounds violent, right? 
even if they themselves aren't. But, but the mouth of someone who has to curse and use foul language, well, God says, you're guilty of the violence that those words are always, people that are committing you know, gangland you know, crimes and things like that, they use the same language in their violence. God says, you've adopted their violent language, therefore your mouth is just as guilty as their hands. Whoa. You mean some people will stand before God someday and God will condemn them of violence? They'll say, I never, I never murdered, I never even punched anybody. God says, roll tape on how many times your language was that of an abuser. Because physical abusive people are always verbally abusive too. Every time. So so I don't really physically abuse, I just just lash people with my tongue. God says it's violence. That's a heavy thing. But the violence covers the mouth of the wicked. On to verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all sins. Now, Peter, no doubt, has this passage in mind in 1 Peter 4 8, above and above all things. Now, think about us, church. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. And not just sins, love covers a multitude of flaws. Because some of our things are not sins, they're just flaws, right? But uh, you, you know, you just mangled that verse. That's a flaw. That's not a sin, right? I will mangle a verse every time, uh, every now and then, not every time, every now and then from the pulpit. I might even quote, well, you said Psalm and you meant to say Proverbs. Yes, that's called a flaw, not a sin. But love covers the flaws too, but really, more than just the flaws, Sometimes flaws annoy us. Seem, I think sometimes flaws annoy us more than sins. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes we kind of can look at someone's sins and say, all right, but they're flaws. But love covers all of it, right? The flaws, the sins. Love covers sins. We're to be one that uh, when people have come to Christ and they're guilt-ridden, we're there to cover it and say, hey, no, no, that's covered by the blood. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live in shame of that anymore. You don't have to be under that condemnation anymore. But then later, even after someone say, and they've blown it, well, then you can never serve ever again. That's it. No opportunity for you here. One and done. No. Now, there are things that will disqualify, right? Me as a pastor, there's things that could disqualify if you may ever be in the pulpit again. And that comes with the high calling that God has given. But in your life, there's things that could disqualify. But for the most part, for the most part, most of the sins that we commit are not disqualifying, but they do need to be dealt with. And they do need to be, you know, discipled out of in people's life, right? We, we inter- come and say, look, here's how you can overcome that. You need to start to read and meditate on this passage, That's what love is. Love is helping people get past places, not condemning them in that place, right? There's been a lot of preaching in America in the past that didn't love from the pulpit. It only condemned from the pulpit. But there's another. There's also a preaching from the pulpit that actually condones sin from the pulpit or actually soft pedals it, and that's not love either. Covering sin is the balance of the love that God gives that uh, 
It's truth, but it's presented in a loving way. Love covers sins. Hatred stirs up strife. Now, obviously, hatred stirs up strife on an international scale. You see what one, one bit of hatred can do in one airport, right? Can make thousands of people running in all directions. But hatred also messes up the church, doesn't it? When someone has a grudge against somebody, ooh, churches have a split over this. God forbid that would ever happen here. It would never happen as long as we keep loving each other. Amen? Marriages break up when someone starts despising another person, right? But if they would actually not let the sun go down their wrath and make amends and make sure that they keep reinvesting in love, then the kids don't have to worry about mom and dad divorced and all the strife that will come out and fighting over who has them on the weekend and how much is child support and all the things that come later, right? All that strife is avoided when love says, you know what, I'm not going to hold a grudge because of what my spouse did four years ago. It's a shame when you see people that, you know, you're in marriage counseling someone, and they're still mad about seven years ago? And then sometimes they're not even, the things that I can't even think are big deals. I'm like, that has you irked still? Did you get nailed to a cross and die at the third, you know, third, three o'clock in the afternoon like Jesus did? No, well... I got my toes stepped on. Now I am really mad. And all the strife that comes after that. Look at verse 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Um, God wants us to be, this world needs wise people walking, doesn't it? You may not get all the promotions at your job, but you can still be the wisest person there. You may not get all the accolades, but you can still be the wise one. You can be the one they look to when things really matter in a crisis in somebody's life, but it may not be related to all the dollars and cents and profits. But a rod is for the back of him void of understanding. Now, Jesus one day uh, will rule this world with a rod, and those that have been devoid of understanding based on their own choice of rejecting, they'll be ruled with a rod of iron. Now this uh, certainly, in, you think of a, in the household, you know, parents should apply some level of discipline, and, and Proverbs covers that as well. Uh, so we bring our kids back in line with right thinking with God, but in adults that just go their own way, there'll be nothing left but the rod of judgment when they meet the Lord on judgment. Everyone's going to meet him, but those of us uh, that are walking in wisdom now, we have understanding. We don't lean to our own understanding. We lean to God's understanding. I, I tell people uh, when I share the gospel, I'm like, look, I don't have anything in me to offer you, but I can share with you what the Word of God says. That's why it's good to actually turn the page and show someone that this understanding you can follow. Look at verse 14. We've only got three left. Um, Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. How do we store up knowledge? Uh, We do that through prayer. We do that through study, and we do that through fellowship. I was thinking this morning... uh, you know, every morning, 
almost every morning, I try and have a workout. But before I have a workout, I have time in the Word and in prayer. And so many of you hopefully uh, at least have the Word and prayer part, even if you don't have the workout part. Because I was thinking, later in the day, I'm still meditating on things I read and prayed about. I'm not meditating on the workout. See, one, profit something. I have to, I have to do a certain amount of exercise. The older I get, uh, my food portions have to go like this. You know, everything you know, changes. So there's a value in physical exercise. But it, when it comes to storing up the knowledge of God... Physical exercise will never help you. All the, well, it can in one sense. Sometimes when I run, I just pray and talk to God. So, but that's still what we store up is spiritual. Amen? That's what we can meditate. That's what we'll actually draw back on, a verse, not the physical things. The mouth, the fool, uh, the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. They're never receiving from God, so they're always filling up their own mouth with their own ways. Yeah, that's why you'll hear people say, well, I think, in a sense, God doesn't care what they think. Well, not in a sense. For fact, God doesn't care what they think. And he loves them, wants them to repent, but he does not care what, he doesn't care what I think either, by the way, or you think. So our mouth is foolish unless it's receiving from the Lord. Verse 15, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Well, certainly a rich man that's acquired wealth from the Lord through honest means can be a strong city and, and quite a help to other people. Again, I, I, God brings someone here that uh, is been blessed and they love the Lord. Praise the Lord. They can be used to help the city be stronger. But someone who is poor based on their own choices, um, they not only have a poverty materially, but they have a bigger poverty in their character. And that's why you can see someone turn and do something heinous and say, well, I didn't have anything else to live for, so I, I considered all other lives worthless too, right? We see, this, we see this in the correctional facility when we go in where they have no they've come from nothing, they've never come to know the Lord, and not only do they see no value in themselves and in their life, they see no value in anybody else. And it's very destructive. Verse 16, our last verse tonight. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. The wages of the labor of the righteous leads to life. Now, we didn't work for our salvation, but once we're saved, we certainly are working out our salvation. Jesus did all the work for our salvation. But now that I work for him, my labor is life-giving and life-receiving. You could make a lot more money. You could be more famous. You could be more loved by all your neighbors. But none of those things are life-giving. They're very temporal. They're very temporary. The labor of the righteous leads to life. It leads not only to our finding life. Jesus said, come to me and you'll find life. Right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And not only do we find life, but then we help other people find life. We're sharing. We, we are just taking of the bread that we've been given, the bread, and we're sharing it with other people. It's life-giving 
for them. We don't try and hide it. You wouldn't want this life. If you feel that way, have you been changed and radically changed by the life of Christ? But if you have been, you wouldn't be hiding. You'd say, what I've received, I freely give. But the wages of the wicked to sin, you know, the Romans tells us the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Life. Life in the heart of those that receive the commands, wages of death to those that reject the commands, the do's and the don'ts, the biggest do to come to Jesus and to be fed and led by him. Let's close in prayer.